What's your story? This is Success Stories with Kendra Hall, where inspirational people come to tell their story so that you can write your own. Here's Kendra. This episode is for anyone who has ever considered themselves a rule follower and an example of what can happen when you pay less attention to the rules and more attention to your gut. Today's guest, Michelle Cordero Grant, is the founder and CEO of Lively, a lingerie brand that disrupted the industry and reinvented the way that women view their daily essentials. Founded in 2016, Lively found success by embracing the female desire for functional, beautiful lingerie and building a community of women with wild hearts and boss brains. Michelle, welcome to success. We are so excited to hear your stories. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, and I had mentioned right before we we got on this call or our recording here that you have been on my Instagram feed for years. So I really do feel like I'm talking to a celebrity here, at least the brains behind the celebrity brand. It's exciting. Oh my gosh, that is hilarious and amazing to hear because I am such an Instagram novice and I've never even had a Facebook account. So that really makes me feel good. So thank you. (laughs) And Lively really is just taking the world by storm and has been for a while. But before we get into that, I really want to start with you. Like where, how did this all happen for you? And maybe all the way back to the, to the very beginning. Like, do you remember those first times that you exhibited an entrepreneurial spirit? Take me back. Tell me about Michelle. Sure. Sure. So I'll just start by saying the word entrepreneur was not in my atmosphere growing Mm. up. You know, it was not one of those things where I'm like, I want to be an entrepreneur when I grow up. I think it was a culmination of life events. So I grew up in rural Pennsylvania. I'm the daughter of two Indian immigrant parents and I'm a rule follower and thought I was on this very clear path, which is Mm. doctor, lawyer, investment banker, good grades. And then you just work at the same job for 20 to 30 years and have a great family. Yeah. I, you know, thought that's just, I assumed I lived a life of assumptions growing up. And what I realized is as I was doing the, the journey, I was like seeing these little opportunities on the side that looked like glimmers of light, like shiny little things pulling me towards them. And I started to lean into those things. So went to college further away than I thought, started doing different activities that I normally wouldn't participate. And I started to feel this like glimmer of joy different than what I had felt, you know, just doing what I thought was right. So I would say long story short, Um, I ended up not doing doctor, lawyer, investment banker. I discovered through internships that I really liked tangible things. Like Mm. I worked on finance and corporate finance and all these things in a computer box, but I couldn't touch them. I couldn't feel them and I couldn't feel that impact. And so I knew that I needed to find something where I had passion for the atmosphere around it. And I loved fashion. And I was not creative (laughs) at all, but I was good with numbers. And so I needed to figure out how to connect those dots. And that's what brought me to the world of of retail. 
Oh my gosh. There are a lot of people who have different variations of that story. You mentioned growing up in, even for me, so I'm sitting here as you're going through each one of these things. You grew up in rural Pennsylvania. I grew up in rural Minnesota. Entrepreneur was never a part of my family language. I'm not the daughter of immigrants, but it wasn't a part of what was going on. I am definitely a rule follower. So so tell me, when you started to feel these glimmers and, and notice that you were finding joy on little like foot trails off of what you thought was going to be your path, was that, was that hard? Like, do you remember, was it hard for you? Was it hard to express to your parents or your family? Because I think that's where a lot of people get stuck. They can feel these glimmers of joy that might be leading them somewhere unexpected, but it's, it's, it's too hard. What, tell me what your experience was. Do you remember any moments? Yeah, a couple, you know, it's, it's funny when you reflect and you look back, you start to see things so clearly. Right. And Mm -hmm. so for me, because I was in rural Pennsylvania, I always felt this yearn to belong, right. You know, Nobody had the same color skin that I had. Mm. Nobody had the last name Cordero. Everyone was like Jones and Smith. And so I was just always trying to belong. And it was Mm. so tiring. And, you know, things like eating very American meals and wearing very American brands like Polo Ralph Lauren is always a brand that I look to Mm. because that brand made me feel like I belonged. Like I put it on and I felt... American luxury prestige, right? And so yeah. I think the glimmers for me was I would see brand as something that like was really making me feel good. And so if I push that forward, when I started to finish college and found my first job, I realized New York City is where brands are built, mm. right? And so I remember in high school taking a bus from Pennsylvania to New York and just like walking the streets. Like, and I get like the chills just thinking about it, but like walking Fifth Avenue, couldn't buy anything, walking 8th Street and seeing all the shoe stores and like loved everything. So I think in my like gut, I always knew that I needed to go somewhere where that energy lived, but that wasn't part of the rule following plan. New York was pulling me. So after college, I remember graduating packing up a U-Haul. All of my friends were staying in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area and just drove right to New York City. Actually, Hoboken. I couldn't afford an apartment in New York. But <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, <laughs> right yeah. That makes the sense. River. Hoboken has had... great views. It has great views. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but literally had to ask my first job to find me roommates because I didn't know a soul. Like I literally was moving to New York, didn't know anybody. And was like, can you, can you get me a roommate or two? Because this job's amazing. I can't afford to live here. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. I, so did your, did your friends think you were crazy or were they like, yeah, Michelle was always gonna go somewhere else, do something else. I mean, I guess I think it started when I was not finding the job that I wanted in Pittsburgh and a friend of mine we were literally going to job fairs at other schools just so I could find a job in New York. <laughs> right. Yeah. That had, yeah, somewhere that had, wow. So tell me what is, what is, and well, first, do you still live in New York? I don't know this. Are you in the city? Yeah. So I was in the city for 18 years. I actually moved to Long Island in January of 2020, right before the world changed. Oh my gosh. How interesting <laughs> that you made, you made the choice before it all changed. And then, yeah, yeah that was a, that was an interesting time. Well, we're neighbors then. I'm just across the just across the river, just across the way. Um, So what was, tell me, what was that first job and what was your corporate experience in, in fashion? Because all of this is leading to where you are today. 
Yeah. So my first job was at a company called Federated Merchandising Group, which is one of the largest department store corporations in retail. They own Macy's, Bloomingdale's, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And my first job was a training program where we learned about concept to customer within product development. So you sat next to the design team, saw products created, um, and you basically supported those products coming to life. And when I say support, I literally sat at a computer and entered purchase orders all day long. <laughs> support sounds so much support sounds so much better than Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. And it was actually at that first job where a couple of interesting things happened. Number one is when you finish the the program, you got placed into different areas of fashion. So you could go into ready to wear with dresses and sportswear. You can go into children's, you can go into jewelry, etc. I, of course, wanted dresses and sportswear and fashion. I thought like runway, that's where the action was. Mm-hmm. But I was actually placed in lingerie. I was placed in intimates and I cried my eyes out. It's like my career's over. This is not what I wanted. This is not at all where I thought I would find myself. That is the department that's on like the 11th floor or the back <laughs> corner. It's like yes. not where the action is. Yes. And so that was like an interesting moment because I ended up falling in love with the category. I ended up like geeking out in it from a business perspective, but it took me a minute to accept that the path changed. (laughs) Let's, oh my gosh, let's talk about this for a second because, because the way, so, so my entire work is, is all about stories and the stories we tell ourselves and where we find ourselves. And, And I think the most fascinating part is when when we can look back and see a point in time as the middle of the story, because obviously yeah. looking where you are now as the CEO, the creator of this huge lingerie brand, the fact that you got placed and cried your eyes out, it makes it such an interesting point, like part of the story. So, so tell me about those first couple of days where you, you cry your eyes out, but you you eventually have to get dressed and go to that job. I mean, sure, eventually you fell in love with it, but but what did those first couple of days look like where you were like, oh my oh. gosh, I can't believe this is this is it. Do you remember that first day going to work in lingerie yes. where you, after crying your eyes out and drying your mascara? <laughs> yes. I mean, I always say like failure is a, it's like a fine wine. It just gets better with practice, right? And yeah. so- <laughs> yeah. I remember interviewing in ready to wear and sportswear because I wanted it so bad that I like tanked that interview. Like I knew I wasn't going to get it. So that was the first night of crying. I was like, that woman did not like me because she knew I was trying so hard. Okay. And then, and then when I realized where I was placed, I was just like, oh, I need to find a different job. Like this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. I was like pushing it away. You know, you just kind of like force things out of, you don't want to accept that your journey is not in your control that your journey is just something that you need to live and breathe and like look for opportunity, right? Yeah. And so I, I sat in my room in Hoboken. With <laughs> your roommates. <laughs> with my roommate. And I just, I literally cried and cried and cried. And then finally I got up and I went to work and said, well, I'm in New York. That's all I wanted to do was to get to this city and more opportunity will come. I just need to get through this like two-year stint in this department that I don't like. And, you know, I started to look around me and and say like, wow, like, look at, look at these amazing people that I'm honored to be around and learn Mm -hmm. from. Mm -hmm. And I started Mm -hmm. to realize that it's not about the work that I'm doing right now. It's about the people that I'm surrounded by. And so I need to get my work done fast Mm -hmm. so that I can get 
involved with the people around me, sitting on meetings, listening on in on things I don't belong. Yeah. And like really take the opportunity of being in an amazing place. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That is what and so so if you're listening to this and you your story took a turn and you're thinking it's a failure, remember this moment. The woman who thought she her career was over and it was actually just the beginning of something much bigger, which is which is what I want to to ask you about next. So so you were there, you worked with um you worked in lingerie corporately for a while, right? Yeah, for a couple of years um, at Federated. Of course, I still wouldn't accept that that was my life. I went to mm. law school for two weeks <laughs> and quit because I was like, no, 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 no. Like, have to be a, law, a doctor, lawyer, investment banker, and realized, nope, very clear. I'm going back to tangible. And then, you know, found my way to Victoria's Secret, where, yes, okay. I did work in lingerie for quite some time. And then what, so you, as a rule follower, as someone who'd already kind of broken the rules by not being a lawyer, doctor, whatever it is, um, you broke the rules again by leaving what I would assume was a pretty secure, like had a clear future. Yeah. How did you know that you were meant for something bigger or, or different? What did that when did the idea, that feeling that what you're doing now is really what you were meant to be doing, when did that start? What did that look like? Yeah. I mean, I remember going to work at Victoria's Secret and literally skipping to work. You know, I was like that annoying girl on the subway that was smiling for no reason. Like I just <laughs> loved my job. Like I loved being a part of this brand. Cause remember I geeked out on brand growing up. Yes. I loved being a part of this brand that was so cohesive and clear. Like anywhere you went in the world, you see Victoria's Secret, that person sees angel fantasy push-up doesn't regard matter what language they speak. Yeah. And so I got to learn from Wes, Les Wexner how he built that brand and like how he thought about it. And so for me, it was like getting my MBA and brand building, even though I don't have my MBA, right. but <laughs> getting paid to get my MBA and brand building. And so that was like a very exciting moment for me. And I was around these women that were so powerful and so just confident in their jobs. Right. Mm. Um, and so the first couple of years, I really gravitated around that and like yeah. really spent a lot of time learning the business, learning how to make a profitable brand, um, but leaning into brand first and got to really know my leaders and and then things changed. Mm. <laughs> so uh, as I was approaching the five year mark, I got married, you know, to my wonderful husband. And I started to think a little bit differently that it wasn't just about Michelle anymore. It was about how I was going to live my life, loving this job so much, but also loving my husband and hopefully my family. And that's when it kind of dawned on me when I started to look at my leaders and my female mentors, I realized they were not killing it at home with their mm. husbands or their children. They were at work, but work was coming first and yeah. personal life and family was the sacrifice. And that was something that I realized, I'm like, I can't make that compromise. I can't make that choice. Like I just can't. Yeah. Where, what's the other option? And then I started to think about this brand that I loved so much. And I realized 
it's not me. Like this pushup I'm putting on every morning, not me. When I, when I have a child eventually, like we're not, we're not talking about that. That's not part of this story. And, and if I think about that girl back in Pennsylvania, that was, you know, yearning to belong, I'm doing the same thing. Like I don't look like Candace Swapnell, but I'm Mm -hmm. trying to every Mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. And so the fatigue of that started to spark the idea of, well, social media is a thing. Where's the brand that represents the women that I see on there every day? Yeah. Wow. I mean, what a, so can you tell me that, that day that you made, like, what did it look like when a lively started coming, like started to be born, started the, you know, the cells started forming, it started to come together and the decision to, to leave. I know, you know, just from what I know about you and what I've read, you, you believe in following your instincts, your intuition to trust your gut. Um, how, how did that, how did that all look? Yeah. So, you know, a couple things happened. One, you know, the business was changing quickly and roles and jobs within the corporation were changing. And I was starting to get opportunities that just weren't really sitting with me in terms mm-hmm. of like, that's what I want to do. And then also the jobs that I did want, they weren't seeming like they were going to be the jobs that they were going to be in the future, if that makes sense. So like yep. the corporation yep. was changing, pushing me to think outside, right? In addition, mobile, like Social media and mobile were so important at that time. This is 2011 going into 2012, but we weren't talking about it. And I'm like, this is such an opportunity. And what I've realized is it was such a powerful brand, but it wasn't thinking about where women were going and what we were needing. And so I just started to meet with people from startups. Like you started to hear about Warby and Harry's and Casper. Like these things were happening below 14th street. Yeah. Yes. I got to go below 14th street. Right. (laughs) Right. What's happening down there. And I just started like reaching out to friends and saying, Hey, I heard your friend works at this startup. Can I meet them? Hey, this person works at that startup. Can I meet them? And and honestly, it was a dinner one night with one of my best friends and her husband. And she said, Hey, you know, Mike works at Thrillist with, and they just bought Jack Threads. So Thrillist Media Group was a menswear content site. Think burger, beers, and you know, babes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it was it was all boys. <laughs> it was yeah. like a frat house. And they had bought what was at the time the shiny new toy, a flash sale site, right? This is the day of Gil and Rulala. Yeah. Um, from a gentleman in Columbus, Ohio. And so I was like, I gotta go talk to Mike. Not looking for a job, just wanting to know like what does that mean? What does yeah. all that mean? Content and commerce and startups. And when I sat with him and told him what I was doing and he told me what he was doing, he was like we should work together. You know, we just bought this company. We need merchandising. It's growing fast. And I was like, amazing. I can learn about startups and like, see how this all works. And that's when things started to build. Right. It wasn't like I left Victoria's Secret and knew I needed to start a company. It's not the story at all. Okay. So yeah, there's a, there's a middle, there's a whole middle bridge. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I spent two and a half, three years learning about startups and understanding it. Cause again, rule followers don't just go from like ditch to ditch. They have to know. (laughs) You know what though? I I love that. I think that because there is so much, there is so much celebration out there about jumping from ditch to ditch. And if you're not that kind Mm -hmm. of person, then you feel like the other ditch maybe isn't even available for you. So what a perfect example 
of a bridge and how you kind of built that yourself and walked across it. And there's, there's no shame or there's nothing wrong with that. Like that's actually a really beautiful way to, to get to the next phase, the next part of your story. So totally. So I know that your brand is, um, I want to start with what, even even in the introduction about wild hearts and boss brains, like what is, for people who don't know, what is Lively? What is it all about? Sure. Lively is a community first and foremost, and a brand that inspires women to be passionate, purposeful, and confident. Our sole goal is for women to celebrate their human uniqueness. Mm-hmm. We're all snowflakes, and that is our greatest superpower. Mm-hmm. And we happen to sell products and those products, you know, really support this idea of individuality. They contour your body. They hug you for the way it sits before and after a cup of ramen soup. Mm, <laughs> and yeah. most in, Right. And most importantly, though, it's this common mindset amongst women where we there's so many risks we want to take. There's so many trees that we want to climb, but we often just sit at the table and color. And the mindset is to get together and support each other to climb that tree and know like you have this whole crew to catch you when you fall. Yeah. So what did it look like? Um, Like when did you know that this really was a thing? Like this was (laughs) a, you're like, wait, this is, this is working. People are not only buying the product, but buying into what we're about. What did those early days, those early signals look like? Yeah. I would say the first six months, I, I would say like internally, cause I'm like a, I would say I'm an introverted extrovert. You know, if you meet me, you think I'm very outgoing and, and I'm very, you know, energetic and so forth, but I tend to keep a lot inside as an introvert. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say those first six months, I like to tell people were terrifying. Like they were not like, this is working. This is amazing. This is going to be something. It was six months of me constantly waking up and telling myself, this is going to be big. This is going to be something. And then I would meet people and say, this is going to be big. This is going to be something. Wow. When did I actually know? It was um, March 1st of 2016. It was a month before we launched. Okay. And it was a moment I will never forget. We saw what Harry's, the razor company, did in 2011. They did a refer a friend campaign where they got 100,000 emails in four weeks wow. because they built this code where if you referred someone, you got a point towards your first Harry's you know, purchase, et cetera. And I was enamored with it. And Harry's made it open source. So we took that open source code and we built our own refer a friend campaign. It literally looked like this. It was a splash page. Yeah. The girl that we took her picture on a fire escape on the Bowery and next to it, it said inspired by wild hearts, boss brains, lively's coming soon, earn points towards your first purchase by signing up here. And so there was three of us in the office and we said, let's send it to everybody we know. And we wiped our Gmails and we emailed 250 people. I mean, I mean, I emailed everyone in my email, like Bloomingdale's customer service, dry cleaner, that are everybody I knew. Oh it was not gosh. a lot of people, which I was surprised. I didn't yeah. know that many people. Yeah. And we went to happy hour. And our goal was to get, you know, 5,000 per week over four weeks. Like we were not trying to get 100,000 like Harry's. We were trying to get 20,000. So we went to happy hour. We got 100, 150, 500 that night. We woke up the next morning. We had 1,000 
by noon, we had 5,000. I remember one of the girls was at a baby shower. I was with my children. We were getting to 10,000, 20,000, 30,000. That night, we were at 90,000 emails in our system. I called the developers because I thought it was hacked. They were like in a bathroom at a bar. like trying. We're trying to like talk. Like, We've been hacked. This is broken. Next morning, the whole thing blows up. We have 133,000 emails. 300,000 sessions globally, 280,000 uniques. Like if you looked at Google Analytics, the world was glowing blue. Wow. And developers were like, Michelle, it's real. These are all humans that took your splash page and it went viral. So so let me let me ask just to make sure that I understand this. It does it didn't even say what you were selling. Is that was there it all Did it said it? was today, bras and undies, tomorrow, the world. You didn't oh, know what bra, okay. but you didn't know like how much it cost yeah. or like anything wow. really. Wow. <laughs> that is, that is, so they knew that there was bras and undies and tomorrow, the world. And that spirit was so perfectly, ca- I mean, I'm picturing the girl on the fire escape right there. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so you knew at that moment that This is something people were looking for. They needed this. Yes. Yes. I remember driving home with my, my family and my husband's next to me. And I'm just like literally looking at my phone and refreshing in my head being like, we did it. Oh my (laughs) gosh. And so then a month later you launch and, but, but by that point it had already been, you already knew you were on your way. Yeah. And so what was interesting is that day we actually turned on all of our customer service channels because I had to know why, like who are these people and why. And one of the most interesting parts of that story was there were these girls in Australia at a high school and they were emailing us and saying, Hey, my friend got an email from Lively. Where's my email? And because the system like essentially blew up, there was very much inconsistency happening. Like dashboards and the emails were all broken. Right. And And I was like, oh, sorry, we'll figure that out. But like, why? And they're just like, we've never seen anything like this. Like that image and like wild hearts and boss brains. That's us. And we're like, yes, that is you. That's so cool. (laughs) That is so amazing. And then from there on out, you made a very specific decision with how you were going to build brand awareness, build the brand itself through using ambassadors and influencers. And I would imagine that this was kind of the beginning of uh, ambassador influencer marketing. So yeah. can you can you tell me why why you took that approach and and how it has impacted the overall success? Yeah, yeah, I think it was the idea of brand. So if I sat down and I thought about brand, the brands that I know took decades to build, right? But what I thought about was how they were built was through a grassroots swell. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether it was humans telling each other about it, giant billboards, television, et cetera. And it's it's essentially just humans getting excited about something and sharing it with another human, Mm -hmm. right? And so when I saw social media happening, again, I was never even on Facebook, until lively. I, right. a girl on my team literally created my first Instagram, the Instagram account that I have now. Uh, but what I saw happening was you could have humans connect very quickly and then you could bring them to real life and then have what was happening, you know, in the nineties and the early two thousand of original brand building. And so at the end of the day, it's just humans having endorphins being sparked and then mm-hmm. telling another human. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I thought about to build lively was Let's get humans excited, have an endorphin moment, and then tell another human. Yeah. And you have to basically say, well, then 
how are you going to spark that emotion? Right. And that is human connectivity in my opinion. Yeah. So what we did was we basically said, let's make the business as simple as possible. It's one of the reasons why we have price equality. All of our bras are one price. We said, let's make the business super clean and easy so that we can focus on community. So we probably have one of the easiest businesses to run. Yeah. (laughs) Another podcast. Mm -hmm. So we can go all in on humans. And that's what we did. You know, my board was constantly like community, like where's the ROI in this? And I'm like, it's, it's later. It comes later. But for the first year and a half of building, you know, quote unquote community, people are like, Michelle, you, you got to let this go. But it was so worth it. So, <laughs> it still so, is today. So tell me, what does that, what does that community, when you say community, what does that look like? Like what, sure. what, what does somebody experience when they're a part of the lively community? Yeah. So today what it looks like is it's a two-way opportunity, right? And so there's no money exchange. It's not a financial win. It's really about that mindset. Do you feel passionate, purposeful, and confident? And do you want to share that with other women? And so what we do is, you know, I'll, I'll use the early days. What we did initially was we went on Instagram and we looked for women who had feeds that invoked passion, purpose, and confidence. Mm-hmm. could be in a chef, a fitness person, a mom, et cetera. But there was two things. They knew how to create content. We didn't care about how many followers they had. You could tell they loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and yep, they had something yep. to say. And so we looked, we found a hundred women across the country like this, purposefully not going for New York and Cali, but looking for middle America. Cause that, yeah. there's voices there, right. That needed mm-hmm. to be heard. Mm-hmm. And then we would say to them, Hey, we're lively. We're women building this brand from the ground up. And we want you to be a part of it. Join us and help spread the word. And women would look at our Instagram and be like, yes, I will join you and spread the word. And I said, great. And when you do, I want to know what you're excited about so we can tell people about that. And then maybe we can have events about that. And so that's what we did. We realized it's not about lively. It's about the women and what they want to learn about and feel. And so our first rule was like, throw out the roses, the carnations and all things bras. Bring in what those women care about, which what at the time was soul cycle, succulence, and entrepreneurship. Yeah, that's so funny. I, that's <laughs> why my hair is wet as we're recording this because I just came from a soul cycle class and I had to take a shower. So, so, and I think it's interesting that that the last word that you said there was entrepreneurship, which at the beginning of our conversation you mentioned that entrepreneurship was entrepreneur was never really a part of your lexicon growing up, and so as as people are listening to this and we have so many people who listen to this podcast and either are entrepreneurs or desire to be entrepreneurs. Um, What would you, there's so much here that we have covered, but what are a few of the things that, that you would say now with your years of experience, the trials, the tribulations, the triumphs to people who, who are wondering if, if they're, if they're cut out for it, what they should do next. Yeah. I'd say there's a couple of ingredients that come that I've seen as common threat theme lines or thread lines amongst entrepreneurs. Number one is you're uber curious. Mm. You're the person that is constantly like wanting to know why, like you mm. see things and you're, you don't accept it. You're like, but why? Oh, interesting. How's that work? Interesting. Right. Right. right? Um, I would say the second thing is 
you want to, you, you love firsts, like you're good at figuring things out. You know, there's not a lot of people that are comfortable with that, like going into uncharted territory. And I wasn't, to be honest, until I moved to New York. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, I was like, this is the city of firsts. Like, yes. <laughs> it's totally cool to not know how to get something done. But when you try and you succeed, like you actually become an outlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to be super comfortable with firsts. And then the third thing I would say is you're not afraid to ask for help because mm-hmm. this is not a solo mission. It's not. You just cannot think of an entrepreneur as a team of one. It's about a team of many and they don't actually have to work for you, but you have to be able to go to your network, go to your friends and family, go to like whoever it is and just say, I mentally need your support or I physically need your support or I need your knowledge. Wow. Yeah. I think that we, it, it starts maybe as one and then the misconception is that it should stay that way or, but I, I hear that time and time again, how important it is to, to have that support, whether they're employees or, or simply your community of people to bounce ideas off of. Right. Right. Cause even when I left my, my job at Thrillist, you know, when I quit, I was a team of one. I sat in an office all by myself with a piece of paper and I was like, in tears being like, what did I do? Like, what am I doing here? And then I realized I'm not a team of one. I went on LinkedIn. I went on Instagram. I started mm. calling friends. I, I have mm. my own mental team. Yeah. <laughs> did you just say mental team? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's so, because you can, it can feel lonely, but you can find other people who are lonely entrepreneurs right there. And then you've got your, totally. your mental, you've got your mental team. So yes. Michelle, tell me what is, I know Lively is not just bras and panties now it's expanded. So, so tell me what, what are you now and, and what's ahead in the future? Sure. So where we started with bras and undies today, bras and undies tomorrow, the world. Yeah, <laughs> today, I know we're in the world part. <laughs> yes, we are bras, undies, swimwear, loungewear, active um, in the ego environment and a hit of self-care as well as th- things that just make us smile like this giant scrunchie on my hand today. Which I can't <laughs> stop looking at. I'm like, that is such a beautiful scrunchie. You can't see it because this is this is just audio. So, so how and, is that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so while we started digital, we also have four stores in Austin, Boston, Chicago, and Soho. We're partners with Nordstrom. We launched in Target this year. And we have so much to go. We have not left our country. We could go international. We oh could, my gosh. We could create who knows what. I mean, I used to joke and say, one day we'll have a lively concert. We'll have Camp Lively. I mean, I think that the world is our oyster and we've proven to ourselves, this team of, of women that we can basically figure out anything if we get really excited about it. I, and actually one of the things that I'm wondering now, as we're talking, and this is just, I can hear it's getting bigger and bigger and Nordstrom and Target, which is so exciting. And it goes back to my, something you said earlier, where you were looking at the women, your strong, powerful colleagues at uh, Victoria's Secret or any other corporate women that you were working with. And when you started to realize that, you know, maybe just killing it at your career wasn't what you were looking for. You wanted that success at home as well. How, as things have just grown so much so fast, 
what has that what has that looked like on in the other side of of who you are? Yeah, sure. That's an awesome question. So thankfully, it's a really positive story. When I launched Lively, I found out I was pregnant with my son, Jack, eight weeks later. Oh my gosh. And so now I have two children. I have Lydia, who's seven and a half, and Jack, who's four and a half. My husband and I were about to celebrate our 10-year anniversary. Mm. And while that sounds like nice as bullet points, the real success is I'm here with them. I have breakfast with them. I see them in the evenings. I got to go to their pickup, you know, at school and I didn't miss those like important concerts. My daughter and I talk to each other about things that are beyond, you know, just mom and daughter. I actually took her to pop-ups yesterday and we talked about what it's like to be a designer and like how to build brands. And she says, mommy, like, well, what was in the lively store before it was lively? Like we're already having conversations about what mommy does and like where she goes and why. And so for me, like my heart explodes when I think about the fact that they're not just my children, they're my friends. Like I tell them all the time, like you guys are my best friends. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) My best friend is a four and a half year old. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you, I do, I'm I'm curious, this is my... (laughs) you know what? Four and a half year olds are a lot of fun. They're a lot of work, but they're a lot of fun too. So how has that looked? I know for, for myself, I feel like I have moments as I'm balancing my own entrepreneurial endeavors. I've, I've got my kids. And of course, over the past, you know, 2020, we were all at home in our apartment together. Um, what are some of your secrets to finding that balance. Like, I love that the story is a good one. Uh, in the, how do you make sure that it stays that way? Do you have rules that you yes. follow? Or yeah, I, I mean, this could be a selfish question just for myself, but I'm, I'm going to take notes as you talk about this. <laughs> I mean, number one, it starts with being good with yourself before you can be good for others. So it's like mm. being on the plane, like put your oxygen on first. Yeah. So like, if you don't take care of you, like I realize if I don't sleep, if I don't exercise, I'm mush to the rest of the world. And so it's a quality over quantity game. You know, children taught me that I do not need to be at work until 11 o'clock at night. I need to figure out the fact that not everything on my list is going to get done. And so you have to constantly reprioritize and realize like you set that expectation. So if you're missing it, lower it. Like, what are you doing? Right. (laughs) Which is, which is crazy because you hear so often, like, don't lower your expectations. And, and I feel like women can internalize that. And so when you're lowering your expectations, you're letting yourself down or you're being, so what a refreshing thing to hear somebody say that out loud. You set those expectations. If you were wrong in setting them, cut them back. Totally. We love to win. Like we are humans. We love to win. We love to cross things off. We love to make impact. So like create momentum and live Mm -hmm. in momentum. Right. Mm -hmm. And then two, like, no, without bad days, there aren't good. And so when you're having a really bad day, understand like, right, because this is going to be counteractive and I'm going to learn from this and I'm going to have a good. And so I just started to realize like Oprah said it to at one of the events I went to, she's like, when you're in the car and you're late for a meeting and you know, how you just like sweat and your heart's bursting out of your seams. There's like nothing you can do. Why would you let yourself feel that way? Just sit there and be like, I'm late. Right. I'm late. I've just accepted that I'm late and now I'm just going to chill and show up. And right. It is what it is. Like right. <laughs> accept what you can control and let go of what you can. And so I think that entrepreneurship 
motherhood, all of it, it's all about our mental muscle and training ourselves to adapt and breathe. And so my four and a half year old son, he catches the sun all the time. And it's literally a sun salutation when they're starting to freak out in our house. We say, catch the sun. Wow. I love that to catch, <laughs> to catch the light. Cause light is light's the yeah. most important thing. And to even, and I'm, I'm thinking about this as you're talking about the meeting in the car and, and you know, you're like you, you, so you're not the meeting in the car, but being in the car, going to the meeting that you're going to be late for. And even if you are the reason that you were late because you didn't give yourself enough time, you to, w- what also is the point in beating yourself up about that? No. Recognize what the lesson is like, okay, next yeah. time I'm going to put it on my calendar 20 minutes earlier than it actually is so that I'm always sure to be early or, or what, right? Yes. Like there's, there's no, there's no benefit in beating yourself up, even if you are the reason. No, the spiral downward doesn't work, but like breathing and accepting does. Mm-hmm. And like, Let me tell you, I was terrible at it. If you talk to the girls that worked for me my first two years, I was just like a gasket ready to blow, you know, when things went wrong. And I saw their faces and I realized I was like, this doesn't help. This actually makes it worse. Yeah. So like I need to go in my office and breathe. Or I used to tell people I would literally, you'd see me walking around the block in Bryant Park constantly, just like (sighs) airing it out, let it out, like scream, cry, do whatever you got to do, breathe. (laughs) Yeah. And then accept and then strategize. I just, and that's the whole reason I ask you is because you're just sitting there and I can feel it. I can feel it through the technology, just this, like that you really have embraced this space. And so it's, it was great to hear how that happened. So Michelle, tell me where can we find you? Where can we find this incredible community, this beautiful brand? Tell, tell us where we can find more of you. Sure. So please check us out at at wherelively.com, um, W-E-A-R, lively.com, and at wherelively on Instagram. You can find me at the underscore Michelle Grant, and we are everywhere digitally, physically. Come see us, and we'd love to meet you if we haven't already. And then please, once you find Lively, share your story of your experience to to keep that joy moving forward, creating that community. So (laughs) Michelle, thank you so much for, for taking the time to be here with us today. It was so, um, uplifting to hear your story. Like I just feel energized and, and I can't wait to, to see what happens next for you. We'll be cheering for you. Thank you. This was such a joy. Thank you. This has been Success Stories with Kendra Hall. If you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe, drop us a review, and tell your friends. If you'd like to hear more shows like this one, go to success.com slash podcasts.